Welcome to the Black Sparrow Media Internet Broadcast Network. And welcome. You have tuned in to episode number 182 of Linux in the Hamshack. It's our first recording for the brand new year 2017. And I'm your host, Russ K5TUX. And we also have out from sort of cold and snowy Big Sky Country, Bill NE4RD. Good evening, everyone. And sitting across from me, we have Cheryl. Hello, everyone. Who says she's going to get her ticket this year? Maybe. That's right. That's what we heard last year. It was a prediction from the last episode. Maybe. It's in the red book. <laughs> <laughs> it depends if we make it to Hamvention. Well, I think we will. We'll talk about that a little later. Okay. Maybe in the next episode, actually. But for well, tonight... So you have it in this episode. Well, we have a mention of Hamvention. We yeah. don't have a mention of us being oh, in Hamvention. Oh, that's true. That's, no, that's true. That's coming up. Okay. But we do have a super full, action-packed, fun episode for tonight all kinds of stuff to talk about so since bill is more active in the boy scouts of america than the, the rest of us we'll let, we'll let him do the first one here i know i've already done this story a couple times you have <laughs> but yeah yeah i did i did it with uh, the ar newsline oh well um, you haven't done it with us so yeah so i could do it again the radio merit badge now includes direction finding the boy scouts of america have updated the requirements for the radio merit badge for 2017 a new option for the Radio Merit Badge is the Amateur Radio Direction Finding, or ARDF. A first draft of the new Merit Badge pamphlet is anticipated later this month or in early February. And the new option uh, of ADRF, ARDF, combines orienteering and fox hunting and uh, opens a new interactive component to this program. And it's actually kind of funny because I, I, I wrote that. <laughs> That little part and has ended up in everybody else's coverage of this. So. <laughs> well, I'm glad I could quote you, and you could quote yourself. Uh, yeah, there it is. It's like yeah. no one's quoted me for that, and I'm the one that actually wrote that. I sent it back to an email to uh, Jim Wilson, K5ND, which is the uh, who's the trustee of the uh, K2BSA uh, call sign and also, uh, I guess, head of the club or whatever. We're pretty excited about these changes with the radio, uh, the radio merit badge, uh, you know, changing. They got rid of some of the stuff here from uh, from the other. Uh, the electricity and electronics merit badge, like the open, closed, and short circuits. Um, yeah, yeah, it's it's going to be uh, it's going to be interesting. It does it does add a new kind of interesting element if it's available to you for the uh, kids to complete this. This merit badge will go into effect this year, and those working on previous requirements for the same merit badge can finish them up by the end of 2017, generally, and then you're on to the new requirements for next year um, for any uh, carryovers. So what do you mean if it's available to you? You know, having somebody who's uh, you know, the merit badge uh, leader actually having the equipment to do amateur radio direction finding. Yeah, you know, it does require, you know, direction finding equipment. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, a, a little fox and uh, you know, receivers. Well, so, you, yeah. You'd think if the Boy Scouts of America were offering this as a merit badge, they would also provide the technology for being able to successfully complete Oh, that's not how it yeah, works. It no, work I know that's way. not how it works. No, 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 no. Yeah, it didn't work that way in the Girl Scouts either. <laughs> members of the so. community, yeah. Members right. of the community are actually the, the merit badge counselors. You know, it's all the uh, adult volunteers and, uh, you know, 
scout members and non-scouters volunteer to be uh, merit badge counselors, especially for the amateur radio you know, one, because normally you get clubs that will sponsor uh, doing this. K2BSA is doing the, the big radio merit badge uh, program at the, uh, at the National Jamboree in the, in the summer. All right. Clewick in the chat room says he has his room booked for four days in May. Well, that's like right next door. <laughs> right. Right next door and simultaneous. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it runs Thursday through Sunday. Yeah. yeah, yeah. A lot of people go back and forth. Too. Yep. So hopefully we'll be at Hamvention, too, so we can all hang out and get drunk together. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Well, I will be there because I'm already flying, though. So. <laughs> right. I, I have to imagine we'll be there one way or the other. So. <laughs> I'll either be uh, at the airport with my thumb up or uh, <laughs> <laughs> little sign going hamvention or bust. Yeah, hamvention yeah, or bust. <laughs> I figure it wouldn't be too hard to find a ride into town. With yeah, somebody. probably not. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. You, you have antennas on your hat. Can I go with you? <laughs> <laughs> so moving on, we're going to talk about some more things to do for young people. Uh, Students in HAMS are exploring the Earth's stratosphere. Physics students from the University of Leicester have captured breathtaking images of Earth's stratosphere using a high-altitude weather balloon. The launch took place in December near Tewkesbury in Gloucestershire, and the payload was recovered in Warwickshire. As well as producing photographs and video, this flight tested electronic control systems for future pollution monitoring flights and advanced navigational systems. It also allowed the students, assisted by amateur radio enthusiasts, to test tracking techniques, which will be used again on future flights. Student Robert Peck from the University of Leicester Department of Physics and Astronomy said, The tracking also worked perfectly. We are indebted to the amateur radio community for helping us to set up the tracking equipment. Uh, the team is planning future launches, aiming to test the full sensor and advanced navigation systems, which time constraints prevented them from launching on the first flight. And there's a video of the balloon launch that you can see on YouTube. A link to that and to the original story, which came out of Science Daily, will, of course, be in the show notes. I actually watched the video. It was pretty cool. They somehow mounted the camera where they where some of the tethers for the balloon were actually visible in the shot. But it didn't really detract from the fact that uh, you could basically see about, oh, I don't know, 30 or 40 degrees of the Earth. Uh, oh, wow. So it was it was pretty neat. Yeah, those videos are pretty cool that they, <laughs> they show and. Yeah, how high did that balloon go? They they, say? they did say in the article, but I I didn't put that in here. It was uh, some number of miles. I knew it was very. It was way <laughs> up there. Twenty three point six kilometers. Yep. So that's pretty high. It was very cool. So if you want to check that out, it was kind of neat. Uh, they showed it like lifting off like through the clouds, and then it got up into you know just above the cloud layer, and then they cut it and came back in when it was you know way up in the stratosphere back. You know where the where the sky is actually black. Considering it was uh, ham radio guys and a bunch of students, that's kind of neat that they were actually able to put this together and, and uh, get it working. And I like yes. the fact that there's actually future application for it as well. So it wasn't just a an exercise in launching a balloon. There was a real purpose. Yeah, assuming they used APRS or something like that for uh, tracking. I'm sure they did, and I'm sure all that information is in there. I just you know did the blurb. <laughs> The blurb. Yeah, we do the Sweet. cliff notes here. <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> All right. So, Cheryl, you can talk about Hamvention. And you knew it was coming because I see. What? <laughs> I knew what was coming. That you were going to do this one. Why did I know this was coming? Because we've we've already done one each. So, well, you yeah, know. sometimes I don't I get skipped over, so it doesn't really matter. Oh, you don't, for crying uh, out loud. Whatever. Yeah, oh, so. with me. So. <laughs> Shut up. Okay. So, speaking of Hamvention. Hamvention has released their inside exhibitor booth layout. 
The maps are out, and from what I can tell, there are around 185 lists. Well, you're, we're actually reading this from Bill's perspective. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, just, yeah. So this is from Bill's perspective. The maps are out, and from what I can tell, there is about 185 blessed booze than last year, 319 in 2017, 504 in 2016. Considering there were only 252 unique vendors last year, I'm wondering if they're going to limit the size of... Ah, who's messing with the page? Me, sorry. Please don't. <laughs> <laughs> it all shifts around. Uh, yeah. <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> it makes it. What really you hard. put in my drink? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> makes it really hard to read when the letters are moving around. I'm wondering if they're going to limit the size of the booths, or if some of the larger larger vendors will bring a t- trailer booth to the show. If they allow the larger vendors to swallow up the floor space, it could make it harder for smaller groups to get in and possibly afford a booth. As this information develops, we'll see how the new location is going to work out. Ticket prices are out, but booth prices are not. And I assume Russ added this in. I did. Yes. So it's from an email sent to previous inside exhibitors. We've continued with the standard 10 by 10 pipe and drape booth size. We've eliminated all non-standard booth sizes so that all booths in the show will be identical in size. At this time, we do not have specific details on company locations available, but that will change in the very near future. Now, I don't know if that means that all of the big vendors like Yezu are going to be limited to a 10 by 10 booth, which I find hard to believe. I imagine what they'll do is Yezu will have to buy five 10 by 10 booths. But that's what they do or now. Whatever. That's what they do anyway. Well, that's what they do anyway. Um, yeah, but some of the booths over the last couple of years have been very weirdly spaced well it's just they, because they've had the, like half booths and things like that so yeah. well the hera is also an odd building because it's yes. in like eight different parts and the rooms are not square yeah or some of the rooms are at angles and yeah something like that so yeah i'm not sure if all they, these are square yes yeah, ac- according to them and i'm yeah. you know I, I assume at least from looking at the the venue that all of the buildings are rectangular according to the email that i got all of the booths are going to be square so right. I guess we'll see how that plays out. I know there's several vendors there, like uh, the gentleman from St. Joseph that has all the maps. WB0W. Yes. Yeah. They take up half of a building. Yeah, they, they've got a big one. Yezu is huge. Kenwood is huge. I mean, all of the, the big manufacturers Yeah, your big are ones. Huge. MFJ, Yezu. Yeah, MFJ. Kenwood, Step IR. And- one of the other things they also said in the email that I got is that Exhibitor parking was going to be severely limited. Which means so. that they're going to stop at letting 87 people come in for the same booth. Right. <laughs> yeah. And they're, also, they're not going to be able to let the trucks, like the big rental vehicles and the WB0W trucks and stuff like that, park in the vendor. Well, yeah, so. because they'll take up a half a dozen spots. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that, that's the, that was my big gripe at Hamvention. If you weren't there at least an hour, an hour and a half before the doors opened, you weren't going to get a parking spot yep. because yeah. these big, huge Ryder and, and Penske trucks and motor homes and stuff like that that belong to the dealers would take up two, three, four, five spots. And that, yeah. you know, and people were just circling looking for a spot somewhere. So, yeah, I kind of gather they're putting a stop to that. Yay. That, that's me. Yay. Yeah. Cause they so, say there are 319 booths, according to Bill, who looked at the yeah. layout. I counted them all one by one. One by <laughs> one. All right. <laughs> and the email said there were 300 parking spaces. So that's basically going to be one per booth. So. Yeah. Yeah. All right. We'll see how that all plays out at this new venue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. E- eagerly awaiting to 
to see what more information yeah, what we happens. get on that. Yeah, right. The thing is, how many where, fist fights break out? That yeah, kind of thing. where are they going to have people park? Are they going to bus people in like they've done? Like- I kind of gather the the parking that's not actually at the venue is actually better than what was at the Hera because as soon as you get away from the on-site parking, you had to go a fair distance to get that. But apparently the non-vendor parking at the new location is actually much bigger and actually closer than it was at Harris. So yeah, yeah Harris they used was, to park at the uh, mall that the, uh, yeah, that was abandoned, but that was three, four, five miles away. Well, it's not that far. Uh, it, wasn't it, was that a, it wasn't yeah, that far. No, it was like no. two miles away, mile and a half. But I know like that. that like the city of Dayton or whatever, they used buses, buses. Yeah, to right. haul yeah. them back and forth. That so. actually wasn't bad. We did that. It was fine. It's all going to be a, it's a new paradigm because they've been at Hera since the fifties. Yeah. Something like that. It's been a long time. So we're all going to experience it, our, you know, together in Yay. 2017. And hopefully there's no explosion. <laughs> yeah. Let's hope, let's hope that that doesn't happen. Yeah. All I, right. It's going to be sad to see, see him mention move from Hera purely because there's not going to be any more stories or hopefully no more stories about exploding <laughs> toilets or anything like that. But the great also- flood of 2010. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> I don't think this is a step backward by any means. Any at means, all. no. <laughs> yeah, it's just, just a little different. bump in the road just to see where they're going to fit in and how this event is going to evolve right. into its new location. And yeah, I'm kind of excited about it. I mean, I used to go to a lot of Hamfests and they were all uh, all kinds, you know. And oh, yeah. and, and the the ones that are in the more intimate locations, you know, this is not too small, but it's it's a smaller location for sure. You know, it does make it a, a bit more interesting. I it's, think it'll make it a little more consolidated and actually easier to navigate the entirety of the inside exhibit space. I think it'll be yeah, a lot Sahara easier for people was to deal with. Kind of, you know, here, there, there, it's, there it's was so no easy to miss things in Hera, right? Because yeah. you know, it's it's partitioned into sections, so you could be wandering around, you know, the the ball arena and, and never see miss. like the East Hall. Right. Just because of the way it's oriented. Right, and so. you have no clue that it was even there until right. later and go, oh, well, I missed 75 booze that were over here in this corner because I didn't were there. The hair was kind of a, a weird, there was no no easy flow to the building. So. Right. Well, we'll see how it all plays out. It'll be interesting for sure. And I think what's it, it's, it's actually in Xenia, which is a little further south than Trotwood. Which I think might make it a little easier on hotel rooms because it almost makes Cincinnati close enough to stay at. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we, we stayed, didn't we stay in Xenia? No, we, we stay? stayed close. I can't remember the name of the town. It was somewhere near there, but it puts Cincinnati, I think, twenty-two or twenty-three miles away from the venue, which is so almost like, driving distance. So it's yeah. like halfway between Dayton and Cincinnati. Though. Yeah, something yeah. like that. Yeah. So it'll it'll actually it might actually alleviate some of the hotel congestion. congestion. Yeah. I guess we'll see how that plays out too. Be the Cincinnati convention, convention, <laughs> <laughs> and the Holden in Kentucky, just like the Cincinnati airport. Well, oh, right, yeah. right. All right. So, moving on from our ham radio topics, we're going to talk about some open source topics, and the first one is bills to handle, which is Clear Linux. Clear Linux is the new gaming platform. Question mark. <laughs> <laughs> Clear Linux is in the news again. I think we talked about this uh, as a uh, Docker. Uh, installation at some point um, but they're in the news again this time is a possible great gaming distro for linux and uh you know they're really interested in that growing steam catalog for linux so uh clear linux is not only focusing on the cloud where they have uh have made some good traction here over the last year but uh they're they're starting to focus uh, more on uh gui driver support 
and uh, you know, basically a, a gaming distro uh, platform. That was a story out of uh, Nerdy Lab, and it's in the show notes. All right, it's almost like a flash topic because I haven't had a chance to look at it. In your you know travails, uh, <laughs> played with Clear Linux. As you know, a, as I a have gaming not. Distro? I haven't even put it on a, on a Docker yet. I, I've been meaning to, but I, it's just one thing I haven't done. I actually uh, I did install the next one we're going to talk about. <laughs> did they did they say what the why they thought it was a good gaming distribution in the article? Because I didn't get a chance. Uh, you know, just basically because it's faster. You know, optimized for Intel hardware and. You know, it's a it's a very uh, clean distro because you know it's it's compiled for specifically for that kind of support. Clear Linux already ships with the latest Mesa stack, which includes Vulkan drivers. Uh, yeah. Added a games bundle. It's fine tuned for performance on Intel hardware. Only offers accelerated graphics, and the open source Radeon or NVIDIA proprietary drivers don't work. So you've got to have an Intel chipset in your video board if you're going to use it for this. And they see it as a good contender to the Steam, OpenGL, and Vulkan games that don't ship with high-end graphics. There you go. Yeah, we'll, we'll see how that plays out. I guess so. If we have any gamers who listen to the show, give it a try and let us know what you think. See if it's better than SteamOS. Well, almost anything has to be better than SteamOS because the couple of times that I've tried it, it just seemed like really, really slow and clunky. <laughs> so. Oh, we, we had SteamOS loaded on one of the machines here for a while, and it actually wasn't too bad. It's just when you didn't want to do Steam things, it was pretty bad. If you're going to be running SteamOS, you probably want it for Steam things. Yeah, yeah. I, I It was kind of like a, a, a project my son was doing, so he thought he could use it for both, and <laughs> it's like, uh, yeah, it's pretty much just for Steam. So needless to say, I think they put Windows back on that machine. <laughs> All right, so let's talk about Parrot Security OS. A new version of Parrot Security White Hat OS is released. Parrot Security 3.3 was released some time ago, <laughs> not necessarily yesterday. The hacking distro was uh, under top secret development, according to the developers and features new tools, as well as many bug fixes. The Debian-based distribution is designed especially for ethical hackers, haha, and re- security researchers. Sources close to the distribution say the upcoming Parrot 3.4 release is currently under development. This latest release includes the uh, Linux 4.8 kernel, touchpad driver fixes, updated anonymous browsing, Mate bug fixes, an updated GCC, updated Metaplo- uh, Metasploit framework, PHP 7, and more. Um, and that also was on Nerdy Lab. And, and I, I basically never even heard of it before. <laughs> so it must have been really, really secret to get all the way to 3.3 without ever even cracking you know, the radar, at least in, in any of my news feeds. Well, if you're a computer security professional, you probably knew all about it back in the 0.1 beta days. Yeah, I'm, I'm assuming. <laughs> <laughs> so I did. A, I actually tried downloading it uh, when I first put this article in here uh, with the torrent, and the torrent never completed. <laughs> I was almost thinking, oh, this must be a joke. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like uh, some kind of... Uh, it's one of uh, those ones that goes to 99.8%, and then you yeah, can never Yeah, and it never it. finishes. And right. It's like... <laughs> I thought it was all of a sudden was like, you know, oh, this is like a virus itself. I'm, I'm not putting this on my machine. So I let it sit for a, a day or two, and then I, I came back and I downloaded it just straight from uh, whatever their distribution point was. And I installed it in a VM, and, you know, it, it's, it's okay. It has all the tools in it and stuff like that. It's interesting to see how much press it's getting. I see it was already picked as like the top uh, security system tester or whatever on one of the 2017 best distros, <laughs> Linux, you know, fake news stuff. But 
Yeah. Doesn't, it, doesn't it seem to you that if a security distribution is getting major press, that it's probably not a very good security distribution? <laughs> yeah, I'm thinking it's, uh, yeah, it just it's, if you you know, can't, smells if you, fishy. Right. If you can't get it off the dark net, then it's not what you're actually needing. Yeah. And I mean, there's already obviously other ones that we've, we've tried out um, that do, they have all the same tools and stuff like that. I'm not sure where the nuances on this one are, are different. I'm still going to check it out a little bit more and compare it. I assume it has, well, it says it has Metasploit. I assume it has like Nessus and stuff like that on it. The All the white hat hacker tool, the quote unquote white yeah. hat hacker tools. <laughs> yeah, brute force pattern. And all that. <laughs> right. John the Ripper and all that good stuff. Yeah. So, I mean, it has the same stuff that you can find pretty much everywhere else. Just rolled into a hack your neighbor package. There you go. Yeah. The only thing I thought was weird is it actually has, uh, so like to the start menu, if you look at the picture on the website, like it has like a the start menu at the top with the with the normal start menu and your your regular panels at the top and then at the bottom it also has a panel with another start menu that's exactly the same thing i thought that was kind of weird to have that as a the default setup (laughs) (laughs) i don't know it just kind of seemed noobish to me but whatever it's a sophisticated ethical hacking os tool (laughs) sure it is there you go (laughs) (laughs) we're all professional man (laughs) don't make fun of it so if you want to try out an ethical hacking distribution give parrot linux a try Parrot Security White Hat OS. I'm not sure what the official name is. What is the official name of this? Just thing? Parrot Security. The Parrot uh, security. website is like parrotsec.org or something. All right. There you go. Parrot Security. Hack your neighbors. Hack. <laughs> Steal their Wi Fi. That's right. Well, you can do that pretty easily. All right. So I threw this in there and I meant to follow up with myself and I didn't, but I'm going to hopefully be able to talk a little bit about these two things. And I'm not sure we've actually talked about them before. There is a world of browsing out there that doesn't involve Chrome, Firefox, Edge, Internet Explorer, and Opera. Did I miss one? Well, there's Safari. Sorry. Did I, did there's I miss probably more. Internet Exploder. I, well, I said Internet Explorer. Oh, okay. And I said Edge. But in the world, there are also a couple of other ones out there, and I've actually been hearing a little bit about them lately. One of them is called Brave, and the other one is called Vivaldi. And it was interesting to me that someone brought up Vivaldi in one of the IRC chat rooms that I was in, and then I realized that I had actually already installed it and completely forgotten about it. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, so I went and tried it again, and Vivaldi is actually a pretty decent browser. I, I feel like it's built on WebKit like the other ones, but that may not be true. I'm actually looking at the website right now to try and find out if it is a WebKit browser. I installed Vivaldi on one of the computers. I looked at it for like five seconds and... So that was enough. It looked just like, you know, Chromium, you know, and right. Which is what that's why I believe it's and, a WebKit browser. Cause it, it has the same sort of look and feel to it. Brave. I saw that was uh that was like a mobile, uh, like iOS. You could install brave as like a, um, ad preventer or something or another. Right. It's uh, supposed to be a security focused browser. And I believe it did get it started in the mobile space, but you can now download it and use it on PCs as well. There is a Mac version, there's a Windows version, there's a Linux version for Brave. Um, Yeah, I didn't like it at all on the mobile platform. Yeah, and I didn't like it on the mobile platform either, and I'm not sure that I've heard any good things about it in the desktop space either. One thing is it's also not open source. As an entire package, it's not open source. It has open source components, I believe, if uh, if you do the about and look and see like what it's based on. But it, in and of itself, is not open source, whereas Vivaldi is. But again, Vivaldi, the idea behind Vivaldi was supposed to take things 
like Firefox and Chrome and strip out all the crap that makes them slow and bloated. But honestly, I got the same performance out of Vivaldi that I got out of any of the other ones. They're all compatible with like the technology you need to use, like they're HTML5 compliant. I believe that, you know, Java works fine on them. Flash works fine on them, at least as, as far as Vivaldi is concerned. I'm not sure about Brave. Any browser that claims to be security focused shouldn't run Flash. Yeah, that's um, kind of like a given. <laughs> so I'm not sure if you can run anything Flash in Brave. And since it's starting in the mobile space, it probably won't. But Vivaldi will. Java and JavaScript, of course, work fine. I believe that's also the case for Brave. So it's basically just whether you want to sort of deviate from the norm and try out one of these other things. I've heard people talk about Vivaldi and say good things about it. Uh, the fact that it is open source, the fact that it seems to perform at least decently in the same way that Firefox and or Chrome will. So it may be something that you want to look at. It does have some features that may be useful to you, like uh, notes, web panels, search boxes, tab stacking, uh, an internal trash can, visual tabs, mouse gesturing, speed dials, and you can look up and see what all of these features are. That might be helpful to somebody. The Brave browser, like we said, is supposed to be security-focused, probably doesn't do a whole lot, not open source, and originated in the mobile space, so may or may not be useful in the desktop environment, but just to let people know that there are alternatives out there to your standard everyday average browsers and you know maybe you want to check one out kick the tires and see what you like so yeah all right so we're going to move on because there's a brand new topic in here that i see that i just added <laughs> that you yeah. just added as we've been talking <laughs> talk about typing into the you know to the etherpad well yeah at least i wasn't typing in the story i was reading <laughs> <laughs> It's just trying to keep you on your toes. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. All right. So what what do you hate about Budgie now? And and you're no, not, no, no, no. Uh, you were the one who said Bougie. Yeah, Bougie, that's yeah, right. Yeah, that you were going to <laughs> comment further on Bougie. You ran into more issues. We reinstalled it. You ran into more issues and said, Screw it, we're done. I'm gonna put Debian. Oh, that you was had an issue. I think I talked about that. There was more of the same problem. Basically what happened was I did find some documentation online about doing an install of LVM in an Ubuntu desktop install. Now, it's yeah. something that you can do in the server version without any trouble because the server version allows you to customize your partition layout without any difficulty. But in the desktop environment, they sort of restrict what you can do. But you can actually go into a terminal repartition the disk, set up your LVM, and then reboot into the installer, and then you're supposed to be able to access the LVM partitions and do the install from that point on, but. which I did, and it seemed to be okay, and the computer booted back up, and then I did an upgrade and got it to the latest version of Ubuntu Bougie, whatever that is, 16.04, and I was doing the LTS this time, not the 10. After doing the upgrade, I rebooted, and then LVM wouldn't start. So yeah, it just hung out. The thing was basically yeah. just hosed at that point. I said, "Screw it!" I installed Debian testing on it, or Debian Stretch, I guess, is the version now. But I'm using testing. That's one thing I should point out because of the way Debian is released. You can, in your apt file, you can put like the name of a distribution as the thing you're installing, or you can put 
the current level of the distribution, as in Jesse right now is the name of the distribution, which is also stable. The next version is stretch, which is testing. And then SID is always unstable. If you, in your sources.list, use Jesse, for example, as the distribution you're using, you're only going to be updating Jesse. If you put instead stable, then you're always going to be on whatever the stable distribution is because it's someday stretch is going to be stable. And someday the next version after stretch is going to be stable. And someday the next version after that is going to be stable. But if you're using Jesse, you're only going to be updating as far as Jesse ever goes. And someday Jesse will be deprecated. Right. It, won't, right. it won't be updated anymore. So it's important to know that if you're setting up your repositories, that you know what you're doing. That if you want to have the latest stable release, that you use stable, not the name of the current stable distribution. Because at some point that will never get updated. Right. And if you so, change all those, you have to run a dist upgrade. Right. right. But if you're choosing the actual name of the distribution, you're going to be on that distribution forever. If you use the sort of meta label of stable testing or unstable, then it's more like a rolling release and you'll actually continue to get updates for whatever the current stable is or testing or unstable uh, as you go along. We tend to use the testing distribution, which is currently stretched, but someday will be something else. Uh, but I always use testing in my sources.list, so I always keep progressing as Debian moves forward. Right. In a server environment or a place where you have things that need to be more static, you might want to actually specify the distribution so you don't get too far ahead of yourself. An important distinction that I'm not sure we really talk about. Well, I want to add in here regarding Bougie. I have to let everybody know I am a, I'm considered a new Linux because anytime anything needs updated, Rust does the updates for me. So if somebody handed me a Linux disk or you know, flash drive or whatever tomorrow and said, install this on your computer, I would be doing this basically blind. I have no clue what I'm doing for the most part. Bougie, not the easiest thing to deal with because we were running into problems left and right constantly with it. Now, Russ did throw in a couple of wrenches, I guess, into the package <laughs> with his LVM thing. Yeah, when but, you do non-standard, things can break really easy. Yeah. I mean, that, that installer is the same installer you have pretty much across the board. <laughs> Right. on almost yeah. all Debian, right. and, well, well, at least all Ubuntu products. No, and, if you're using Debian, Debian allows you to configure LVM without issue, even in the desktop yeah. version. Well, yeah, but I wouldn't know how to set up LVM but as, as a, a brand new user. As a brand new user, you wouldn't need to set up LVM. Right. Yeah. So, but but a, a lot of the desktop ones just have an easy button for that, too. If you want it, you know, to use LVM, click the button. If you want to use uh, encryption, click the button. Click the button, yeah. right. Well, yeah, well, you know, once you start, you know, doing custom partitions and then custom stuff, then, yeah, you're you're pretty much all, all bets are off on using the built-in install. Right. Unfortunately, with using the LVM button in the sort of one-click, you know, push this and use LVM, that, that never really helps you because it allows you to do it, but then going forward, you're not going to understand what you've done. Done, right. You know, you know what I mean? <laughs> you don't understand why you've installed LVM or why it's even useful to you because it doesn't explain it. It just says, right. do you want to use LVM? And you might sure. go, okay, yeah, what the hell? Let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> um, you're supposed to do this all from the command line if you if you know what you're doing. Then. <laughs> I, I know. Yeah, and I have no yeah, clue how to do the command Yeah, root the system and everything stuff. else, yeah. copy it over. 
But if you're doing this for a basic user who doesn't have any clue, why even include LVM as an option? Because they're yeah, not really going to... Yeah. They might have heard somebody mention it, though. Right. You know, that's right. kind of like one of those things. Oh, yeah, that sounds good. And, oh, you can't hit the encryption button until you click that. So, yeah, yeah. I suppose. There's, there's some logic things that go along with that. And there's a reason why it's set up the way it is. It's, it's not really intended for you know you to actually customize it because they really don't want you to do that i'm surprised they even have the partition button and stuff like that when you're you know instead of just erase all disk or run side by side you know that should be the only two options because once you go beyond that you're probably going to screw something up right and saying that was the thing there was too many things to check or do and i i could have easily hosed my computer in about two seconds yeah and if you were a typical user and didn't know anything about that you would just hit next 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 and it would have ran fine right but you would have ran into other problems because i I think there are some serious issues with budgie running on top of ubuntu right now it is not quite polished right you know it's not the same experience that you get when it's on solus right so uh you know hopefully by the time 1704 comes out they'll fix that and it'll 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 be right fixed right but there's definitely some broken crap <laughs> with it <laughs> that they have some work to do. It's not ready to. It's not ready for production. That's right. for sure. Okay. All right. All right. So moving on from our open source topics, we're now moving into the Linux in the ham shack. And the first one I had is something I don't really have a lot of information about, but I did get it as a mention from a user or a listener. I don't remember exactly who. So listener feedback. Well, it's kind of listener feedback, but they basically just pointed me to this. And oh yeah, this is the this is the VE two DBE. We mentioned this. Is it? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah VE two DBE. Right. Yeah, we so, actually got a show noted that too. Okay, uh, I just wanted to make sure we got this in here again. That there's an application called Radio Mobile, which is another propagation mobile. predictor. It's French. Yeah. Come on. Yeah, sorry, Radio Mobile. Excuse me. Radio Mobile. <laughs> Radio Mobile. Um, that does the same, basically yeah. does the same thing as Splat, but this is actually written for Windows. Uh, well, they, this is also points you to the web one, too. Right. So you can run it, you can run Linux. You can so you run, run Radio Mobile online, and you get the, the online version. Right. But it also has a Windows version that apparently runs just fine under Wine. Oh, yeah, because uh, it runs under the VB Runtime 6. Right. So if you want to actually run this sort of, you know, I want to say natively, but it's not really natively. But if you want to run it in Wine, you can do that as well. So it's another option for your path prediction and your, you know, terrain analysis tool and all that kind of thing. Put it out there as another another way to do it. It's not, it's not open source technically because it's a Windows application, but you can run it in Linux if you really want to. And there's, of course, the, the web and the mobile version, so... There you go. And since it was yeah. brought up to us, we figured we'd pass on the information. You can use it however you want to. It's just, you know, it's like telling people how to grow marijuana is not illegal. It's just <laughs> actually doing it, right? So <laughs> Depends on the state you're in. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> uh, I also got an email off the Ubuntu Hams mailing list about the fact that at the very last moment in 2016, December 31st, they released HamLib 3.1. Uh, this came out from uh, November Zero, November Bravo, and he said HamLive 3.1 includes support for several new models released to the market since the last HamLive release, updates and fixes to many more models, support for the Lua scripting language, and pre-built packages for Microsoft Windows 32 and 64-bit versions. The source tarball and pre-built Microsoft Windows packages are available for download from SourceForge. 
and there'll be a link to the SourceForge location where you can download those, and I'm pretty sure that stuff hasn't been packaged up for Debian yet, but if you're running a bleeding-edge distro, uh, they may be available in the repos somewhere. Uh, but, of course, 3.1 will be incorporated, you know, ere long. New version of HamLive 3.1 with new rig support. Always a good thing. And I saw there was some major bug with the TS590. So if you're running a Kenwood TS590, they fixed whatever that problem was. Apparently, it was pretty significant. So, And I, I believe the 590 is a fairly uh, popular platform. So, Oh, yeah. You were going to say something? No, I just said I was agreeing with you. Yeah, the 590 uh, is a great, it was a good, good rating. Yep, I'd like to have one myself if I could afford it. So, yeah. <laughs> one day. Yeah, one day, someday. <laughs> All right, so talk about Arch Linux. Okay, so uh, Manjaro. Uh, I took this Arch-based distro for a test drive in my virtual box in order to see how ham radio ready it was. It, it uses the XFCE, um, at least the install disk I used. It, it, that was the live CD. It had the XFCE uh, uh, window manager. Uh, when it was finished, it was a it had a pleasant looking desktop, nice little green and kind of a dark uh, themed uh, background. Uh, it's pretty fast. The menuing was look, looked pretty sharp. As, as usual for Arch, the packages for Amradio are, are in the uh, the AUR, which is the uh, Arch something repository, <laughs> user <laughs> repository, isn't it? I think is that something, something like that. Yeah. Yeah, Arch user repository, oh, something sure. like that. I'll just right. pretend I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I installed all the regular software, CQR log, you know, I installed MariaDB, uh, WSJTX, although it was only the 1.6 version, a little little bit behind, but, you know, 1.7 was just released uh, uh, just a, lot, what, a month and a half ago, so not very long ago. GPredict, uh, FLDigi, you know, everything came in, everything ran fine. I even upgraded the kernel, crossing my fingers, you know, this is definitely not Antergos. <laughs> Or on Antergos, Antergos, I don't know, Ant- Antergross. <laughs> Whatever the other one is that tries to fix all the problems with getting Arch installed for uh, you know newbie users, yeah, this one is way better. <laughs> uh, it's very stable. Uh, everything runs. And in fact, I, 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 uh, I actually put it on bare metal, so I'm running it right now. I am talking through that, that machine. So uh, it, it does seem to be running quite well. The LHS rating score is still only a 3.4. I think it's still uh, quite a learning curve for a lot of people to use the AUR system. There's a lot of uh, yes, no prompts and, you know, opening up editors, looking at the, uh, the script files to make sure, you know, you're not getting a package from somebody that's, you know, you know, catting dev null into your hard drive, something like that, you know. Um, but anyways, check it out, Manjaro. It uh, is pretty slick and um, yeah, it just, it just works. And AUR is Arch user repository. Just hey, I was good. Yeah, very good. <laughs> <laughs> We've mentioned Manjaro a couple of times because I used it two or three years ago, and it was a fantastic way to get into Arch, even if you're not using it for ham radio purposes, if you just want to use it as a as an operating system. It is not as polished and not as easy to use as something like Ubuntu or Mint, but if you want to be on the bleeding edge, if you want to be sort of out there but still make it manageable for a you know, fairly new user, a Manjaro is definitely a good way to go. It won't screw you <laughs> right right <laughs> off the top. So, yeah. yeah, I mean, and it came with everything kind of, you know, prepackaged, you know, at least the district, you know, the one I put in here, I mean, it has, you know, LibreOffice, uh, you know, has all your audio fun stuff. It came with Firefox, HexChat, Pigeon, Thunderbird, even had Steam installed by default. So that's always a, a, is a good thing. 
And yeah, I just added a few extra apps that I normally do and, uh, you know, copied some of my .config files over from, uh, you know, my Solus and other box. And, you know, I was up and running in a very short amount of time. Uh, so yeah, I, I have no complaints right now. And, you know, it's, it's, I, I think base out, out of the, out of the box, I, I think a typical Ubuntu user could probably, uh, use this, you know, someone who's just a user. It's, it's not complicated at all. And, you know, whatever's not in the normal repository, you won't be able to even see the AUR until you force it to show you that stuff. So you have to, you know, kind of go under the hood of just a hair bit just to, uh, to turn on even be able to find those packages. So you can keep it as simple as possible, but you won't be able to run ham radio stuff on it without uh, getting into the AURs. A 3.4 is pretty good as far as readiness. And if you want to try something that's a little outside the box, at least from what we normally talk about, definitely worth a shot, I think. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm going to give it a try. I'm going to probably run it for a few weeks and see if I can get used to it. I've already noticed that the power management is kind of sometimes not working. Like my, I walk away, my screen is still on about, 30 minutes later. <laughs> All right, I'm sure so, I can fix that. Yeah, I'm sure. So <laughs> moving on, we'll talk about Zorin OS. And I actually looked at this a little while back, and it was sort of touted as something that could be, I think at the time it was like a Windows XP or a Windows 7, almost like drop-in replacement. The idea was that it looked very similar. Yeah. And you could sort of use it in that way. But I found the whole experience of Zorin OS pretty disappointing, and I kind of gather that you did as well. <laughs> well considering it never booted i was like uh you know the, the live cd worked great after that yeah it wasn't good from the live cd perspective did you feel like it gave you the windows experience as a linux distribution because i really didn't i mean even when something is touted as looking like or being very similar to you can say that ubuntu looks very similar to windows and it kind of does in its own sort of way where there's a start button and menus and things like that but it didn't seem to me, at least when I tried it, any more like Windows than anything else I tried. Yeah, I didn't get the impression. I mean, you know, it kind of, you know, it had the menu bar at the bottom. But, hey, so does Manjaro, you know. If anything, this Manjaro feels like I'm running XP, <laughs> you know, or Windows 7, really. What? <laughs> this well, is, Mint, this with, is closer. Mint with Mate does the same thing. It has the start part yeah. at the bottom and, and all that. So, yeah, this is XFCE. So, you know, same, same, same. Right. Thing. All so, right. Yeah. So <laughs> you gave Zorin a big fat zero, so we're going to just move on. And we'll yeah. talk about Bodhi. We've talked about Bodhi before as well, too. And this is one of those ones that has the sort of boutique desktop environment that's supposed to be, like, really flashy and eye candy and stuff like that. Uh, <laughs> and I haven't actually looked at Bodhi in a little while, but you looked at it again, and you like it. So Yeah, it wasn't too bad. You know, I put Bodhi, yet another boutique uh, Ubuntu distro, uh, which is basically what it is. I, I was in one of the ham chat rooms and someone had mentioned that distro for a, for a Linux question. And I'm like, I don't think I've actually heard of that one. So I went out and, uh, and downloaded it. It's, a, it's an Ubuntu uh, LTS based system. So it's going to be running 1604, pretty basic, stable, everything on it. Um, they have two different ISO options. When you download it, you can either get the stripped down version, which they call a standard or you get the app pack version, which kind of has, you know, all the normal stuff that you would get with Ubuntu, like, you know, LibreOffice and, and all the other all the other stuff. So it has a desktop called the Mockshaw desktop. And this is its, you know, I guess windowing I don't know if you call it a theme or not. <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah, it was really weird because like they it looked pretty until you ran the installer. And like, you know, the first few questions are like, you know, there's checkboxes for uh, you know, do you want to install you know, whatever the MP3 extras, or do you want to download stuff while it's installing? 
like those check boxes you could not see <laughs> in the installer. So I'm like, oh, I know they're there. So I just clicked around and, you know, I clicked them and, okay, it, it, it went in, it booted and, it, you know, installed. And after that, it was no big deal. Um, I did find that kind of odd, disturbing kind of kind of thing is that like, you know, the first like few screens on the installer, you can't see the check boxes. You know, it's something they definitely need to fix. I mean, well, I, uh, I had that same problem with Bougie, which we explained in the last episode where the screen had resized to a point where some of the click boxes were right. off the screen where you couldn't actually see them. And if That's you a little different. This one actually uh, stretched out and I was able to set the, the, the window size properly in the VM before I went forward which I, I kind of always test to see if they have those drivers there for the VM to, so you can go ahead and resize it to begin with. Otherwise, you're in that 640 by 480 window or whatever, and you can't see anything. So it's crap. But anyway, so, uh, you know, you know, I gave it a 3.6, which is, which is pretty high for Ubuntu, actually. I gave it an extra point for uh, the terminology because I, I hadn't used that term uh, terminal before, and I thought it was kind of slick and flashy. So I don't know. I don't know if you've ever seen that one, but it it was different. So I was like, oh, this is kind of cute, you know. <laughs> if I remember <laughs> right, terminology is the terminal from Enlightenment. I yeah, think. I think so. I, I believe it is. Yeah, and it allows like 256 color mode and all kinds yeah. of crazy things. You can still use it as an X term, and it's VT100 compliant if you want that, but it has all kinds of crazy add-ons and everything, and I'm pretty sure it was developed with Enlightenment, and now they've just sort of uh, made it available everywhere. So it's it's interesting if you want to try it out. You know, I still, I think the prettiest LTS distro is still elementary OS. And I believe, you know, it's, that's a really hard one to beat to, if you're looking for a pretty system. But this one's not bad. It, it looks pretty slick. All right. Very good. So that's all of our initial topics for the evening. And we're going to move on to the music for tonight. And the music selection is kind of interesting. We are playing some stuff tonight, well, a song tonight, that is not Creative Commons. Usually we find stuff on Jamendo or whatever that's Creative Commons music, but this track is not, at least not that we're aware of. I got permission from the group because we saw them in concert over the weekend, and they were playing here at a local club, and afterwards I went and talked with the guys. The, The group is called The Social Animals. They're out of Duluth, Minnesota, and they're on a tour covering a lot of the country, to promote their new EP that they've got out. They put it out in the late summer of 2016. They've got a couple extra tracks that they're pushing, and they're fantastic. They're also very nice guys. I got to talk to all of them after the show. They were more than happy to let me play this track on our podcast. Even when I explained to them what our podcast was, they were still okay with it, (laughs) (laughs) which is truly surprising. But they have a great body of work. They threw in a couple of cover tracks as well while we were there listening. But they're sort of no-nonsense. They're folk rock, roots rock kind of vibe to them. Sort of stray into the pop vibe a little bit. But all really good. Their show was fun. They were fun. If you go to thesocialanimals.com, you can read all about them. And, of course, a link to this track will be in the show notes. It was a good evening, and I really enjoyed talking to them. And when you buy their EP which I highly recommend you do because all of the tracks on it are excellent. They don't actually put out CDs. They do everything on USB stick. And the USB sticks that they sell are neat because they're wood grain. They're like little blocks of wood with a USB stick embedded in them with a, like a little magnetic cap on them. When you like slide the cover on, it like snaps down and everything. They sold them at the show, and I believe they sell them online for ten whole dollars. So if nothing else, you get a USB stick for ten bucks, and it's got some great music on it. I love, I love their show. 
Yeah, their show was great. It was a, a little bit of a mix of like Mumford and Sons and Lumineers and... And they were not afraid to play banjo. So. No, they were not afraid <laughs> to play banjo, which is why I mentioned Mumford and Sons, because they play the banjolin in their shows. The group is called, as we've already said, The Social, Social Animals. Animals. They're out of Minnesota. They put out their EP, which is called Formative Years. And I'm going to play the track called Bird of Mine, which is a very good one. This one runs just a hair shy of four minutes. So we'll play this and we'll come back in a little bit. But I'll turn, turn, turn my head away Cause I want other things on my mind And someday when it's warmer A million years away I come up from below And I will take, take, take my head away Cause I want other things on my mind And it's so easy for me to
That was Bird of Mine by The Social Animals off their Formative Years EP, a group we saw just the other night in Springfield, Missouri. And they put on a really, really good show. And I love the fact that we got to talk to them afterwards. There were really only probably, what, 40 people there? Maybe. Yeah. So that's why. I don't know. There's like a dozen people dancing in front of the stage. Well, there was that, but. That's it was the, the drunk people. <laughs> one girl I kept... Those drunk people at a yeah. bar. How dare they? <laughs> yeah, I know. What, one, one, one of them I actually dubbed the Energizer Bunny because of the way she was acting. I mean, she was literally like clapping and doing the Energizer Bunny move back and forth across the front of the stage constantly. <laughs> I was just like, good Lord, sit down, get, take a break, drink another beer. <laughs> because <laughs> no, that's apparently stronger yeah apparently because that's all she had drank all night long she was soused <laughs> i highly recommend you go and send them ten dollars of your hard-earned money they'll send you a wood grain usb stick back which is very cool it has a little cupcake on it which i thought was cool so and you can download their music onto your player whenever you have and then you can reuse the usb stick i have no idea how big it was but you know whatever He's supporting good music, and they actually, from what I gather, live in their van mm-hmm. and tour the country right now. Yeah, they they said something during the show since there was only a handful of people in the room. They said, you know, what do you think about this weather? I was like, at least it's warmer than it was last night. They're like, we know we were sleeping in our van. I was like, oh, I'm sorry, because it had dropped down to right at zero. And I was like, oh, I'm sorry sorry so not to head north <laughs> they're they're from duluth minnesota they're from duluth yeah, oh, so. they're, used to yeah they're, they're used to it check out the social animals and we're going to move on to announcements and feedback well we don't have any feedback for this week but we Just do announcements. have announcements the first of which is an announcement about rars fest which is in north carolina the ham fest will be again as it has been for many years in the jim graham building at the north carolina state fairgrounds on Blue Ridge Road from 8 to 3 on April 15th. Yes, that's Easter Sunday. So get out on your Easter and go to a ham fest if you're somewhere around North Carolina. Attendance is typically 1,600 to 2,000. Uh, there are 50 commercial booths, 700 flea, several hundred flea market tables, and pre-registration began on the 1st of January, 2017. You can pre-register for tickets that cost 8 bucks. Tables are 18 until april the 8th then you can get tickets at the door for ten dollars or tables will be twenty dollars on a first come first serve basis and this is for the rarely raleigh area Rars, yeah. yeah the raleigh, raleigh area so, radio society so get your fest. cheap flights into rdu and go uh, <laughs> visit a ham fest there's also a linux fest coming up a big linux fest in fact Huge. the biggest linux fest in the continental united states Woo. it's scale the Southern California Linux Expo. This is. I thought you were going to say OSCON or something. No, no, no. OSCON's open source, not Linux specific. But this does say it's the largest open source event in North America. I'm not sure. Os- yeah. OSCON might be bigger, but... Well. I don't know about that. Anyway, the Southern California Linux Expo, number 15, will be from March the 2nd through the 5th, 2017, down there in Pasadena, California. The full access pass, which provides access to all scale sessions, is 75 whole dollars. The expo-only ticket providing access to the exhibit hall is $20. And the exhibit halls will be open Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Special hotel rates and room blocks are available at the Sheraton Pasadena and the Hilton Pasadena. 
And we'll let you know about more ham fests and Linux fests coming up during the year as they get a little bit closer. Right. So. All right, so we're going to move on to Cheryl's Recipe Corner. And apparently you have two recipes for tonight? Well, kind of, because one tied into the other one. Okay, we'll so, tie them together. Okay, I'll tie them together. This week's recipe is Aloha Chicken and Rice. For this recipe, you need some cooked white rice, some pineapple, some chicken broth, some green or red bell peppers, uh, some shake and bake chicken coating, and some boneless, skinless chicken breasts cut into strips. It's a super simple recipe. It's very good. And my recipe this week also includes homemade shake and bake because this stuff's really expensive to buy it off the shelf. But it's super easy to make at home with some breadcrumbs, some vegetable oil, some salt, paprika, celery salt, black pepper, garlic salt, garlic, onion, basil leaves, parsley. and So if you want the recipe, go visit the show notes. Wow. Bang, bang. Rapid. All done. There you go. Woo! Recipes. <laughs> no bones. No, no <laughs> wasted time. No nothing. So since your recipe corner was real quick tonight, I'll do another scotch review. <laughs> what are you reviewing tonight? I'm reviewing the Balvenny 12-Year Double Wood, which is a very good scotch. It's one of my favorites, and it's very inexpensive, I think. It runs about $43 a bottle or something like that. That's what I got it on for clearance. That was clearance price. Yeah, I got it the first time for about the same price. Oh, did you? Okay. It's a Speyside Scotch. It has one of the best amber colors of any non-chill filtered Scotch I've seen. It's a pleasure to look at before you even get to nosing it or tasting it. The thing about the Belveni 12-Year Double Wood is that, like all Scotches, it's aged in used American oak barrels first and then it's aged in oloroso sherry casks now normally i don't like liquor that's aged in sherry casks but for some reason when you age it in american oak first and then in sherry casks you get a very nice scotch this one doesn't have any peat to speak of it's a spayside but i still love it anyway it has nice vanilla and it has the vanilla sherry note from the oloroso casks it also has raspberry and a fruity note, and a little bit of citrus, and cinnamon, too. For an inexpensive single malt, it's very good. I really like this one, so I'm going to have another sip. Ah, very good. Just drink my water. (laughs) (laughs) You're usually pretty bad about picking out specific fruit. I'm kind of shocked that you put those out. Well, it definitely tastes like raspberry to me, so, I mean. Let me taste it. All right. There is a raspberry flavor there. To me, it tastes like raspberry, vanilla, and cinnamon, and there's a tiny little bit of citrus, but I think most scotch has a citrusy kind of... See, to me, it doesn't taste like cinnamon. It tastes like... Um, okay, six and one after the other, I think. They're but two totally different I, I spices. Know, I know. So. <laughs> All right, so we're going to move on to our social media roundup, so Woo-hoo! let's do it. All right. Uh, this time for donations, we had Marcus Burst. Thank you very much. For subscriptions, we had Jonas Rulio, Jeremy Hall, Michael Connolly, Scott Pettigrew, Bob Yerke, Paul Griffith, Ronald Ike, Johnny Kinsey, Brian Smith, Robert Halliday, Ben Schram, Michael Aiello, John Clark, Rob Branch Dash, Edward Donnelly, Donald Gover, Alan Wilson, Stephen Sainer, Dylan Engel, James Blocker, Mike Lasky, Darren King, Petra Karsakis, Donna Farron, Bill Stearns, Bill Piotr, Robert Pitts, Jeff Cannell, John Fotchke, Doug Redder, and Christopher Weaver. For Facebook, we had Earl Bruno, Paulo Martins, and Jason Griffith. For Google+, we had Sean Smith, Stephen Stifler, 
and Unix how-to forum. For Twitter, we had VU3RDD, PAnderson941, GATCAN5, Piali Bonat, and Rex Vaki. Nobody joined us on YouTube. Terry Bindle joined us on our mailing list, and there were no merchandise sales this week. All right, so that means we're down at the end, and the show is rapidly coming to a close. So I guess I should push the outro button. Maybe. Yeah, I guess if I... There we go. I pushed the outro button, finally. (laughs) All right, so you can become an ambassador. Visit the website for upcoming events and information on how you can represent Linux in the Ham Shack at a nearby LinuxCon or HamFest. And we also love feedback, which we haven't really gotten a lot of lately. So please, send us your feedback. You can email us at info at lhspodcast.info, comment on an episode on the website, post on Google+, Facebook, or Twitter, or leave a voicemail at one nine zero nine lhs show That's one nine zero nine five four seven seven four six nine. Visit our IRC channel, Octothorpe LHS Podcast, on the Free Node Network. There's usually someone in there to chat with you, all times of day or night, maybe. You can also subscribe to our mailing list. The link is on the website. Show merchandise from coffee mugs to t-shirts to wall clocks to iPad covers to all kinds of things can be bought at cafepress.com stroke LHS podcast. You can also help the show by clicking on the sponsored ads in the right-hand column of the homepage and at the top of the homepage. Any of those things gives us a little bit of green to help keep the show going. And they don't cost you a thing. It's just an ad click. Listen live every other Monday night at 8 o'clock Central Time. That's Tuesday at 0200 Zulu in the wintertime and 0100 Zulu in the summertime. Our recording schedule and countdown timer to the next episode are on the website. Please check that website out at lhspodcast.info. That's Lima Hotel Sierra Podcast.info for everything you ever wanted to know about the show. Thank you to all of our listeners live and quasi live, past, present, and future. We appreciate each and every one of you. And you have been listening to episode number 182 of Linux in the Ham Shack. I'm your host, Ross K5TUX. That's Cheryl over there. Happy New Year, everyone. And from mildly snowy big sky country out in Montana, there's Bill and E4RD. 73, everyone. And we'll see you all in a couple of weeks' time. Have a good one. And uh, don't drink too much of that scotch. Woo!